0: Hello, happy summer, happy weekend, happy Memorial Day weekend. I am loving the heat, so if you're new to the podcast and you don't know that I love all things summer, well, here we go. Welcome to the Reversing Diabetes with Delane MD. This is episode number 200. Today, we are going to talk about the manual, which is a technique that I use, um, And helping coaching clients through relationship issues i want to give a disclaimer there are it's summer and although i love this time of year my kids are also home from school which means that they're on like devices which means that they pull from my bandwidth which means i have sketchy internet which makes me unhappy i have tried to connect to a different server I am not a technical genius, so who knows what needs to be happening, but just so you're aware that um, if it's glitchy, I really do apologize, and if you find that it's glitchy and you want to let me know, please do let me know. I'm happy to hear that. All right, so if you're new to the podcast, I'm Delaine Vaughn. I'm a board-certified family practice doctor. I'm a former ER nurse, and I'm a veteran healthcare worker, and I'm also the host of this podcast. This podcast is for women who are not ready to let go of the longevity, the vitality, and the vigor of life. This is for women who know that life is a gift. And we're not ready to start a downward spiral of letting it go. I think most of us realize as we get older, maybe the crispness of our exuberance and stamina, it might dull a bit, but we're not ready to let it go entirely. When we get a diagnosis like diabetes or prediabetes, it's a warning shot. It's a blow to that. And it threatens the gift. And we want to stop that immediately. The more we learn about type two diabetes, the more we realize that we really have to reverse this process in order to maintain that spirit, that vigor, that vitality that is us. This podcast is dedicated to strategies to helping women do just that. Before we get started, I want to talk to the gentlemen out there, to the fellas out there. I know I get emails frequently from you, and I appreciate all of the interaction with you guys. Um, Frequently, one of the questions that I get, though, is why don't you coach men or can you coach men? And I have coached guys in the past, and I have no problem coaching guys, but I have something for you. I have a coaching colleague who helps men make these healthy lifestyle changes. His name is JP Bowen, and he is in Hawaii, and he has a coaching practice. His website is higherlevelcoaching.com, okay? He helps men with life coaching and fitness coaching, he actually had a very similar experience to me, and that he was met with pre-diabetes. He's, I think, a Navy SEAL. I think he's an ex-Navy SEAL. He has some special ops in the military that he, he's retired from. That, um, but he ended up with type two diabetes or somewhere on that spectrum, and he had to make these changes too. So he's a badass. Number one. Number two. He's there for you guys. If you want to coach with somebody, he trained at the same coaching school that I did. We use the same strategies. We teach the same techniques. Okay. I know y'all want to think that because I'm a doctor that I have like these specialized criteria that let help me help you reverse your type two diabetes. That's not the case at all. It's all the, you don't need me to tell you to stop eating chocolate cake. Y'all know that why we continue to do things, even though they don't serve our health, that's coaching. And that's what he does. And that's what I do. If guys, if you want that help, reach out to him again, it's www.higherlevelcoaching. Everything spelled as you would be all together, no spaces. And it's .co, not .com in case I messed up earlier. It's .co. I'm going to continue to talk about him. And in fact, I've, he and I've asked him if he wants to get on the podcast and we can have um an interview basically in that podcast he and I can just basically shoot the breeze and talk about shop but um kind of introduce uh some of the listening audience to him he helps men do these lifestyle changes the same way i help women do it so guys if you're interested in that check him out today again we're going to talk about the manual and how to use it to kind of improve our relationships in life definitely it can apply to the food that we eat and not so much like oh what do i think about chocolate cake that makes me keep eating it, but what do I think about it when my mom offers me the favorite cake that she made me? Like that that really can be a way to apply this. I'm not going to use that as an example, but that's kind of one of the places that I see this show up. Before we get started, you know the drill. If you are on meds for your diabetes, please be very careful about making these changes. You have been medicated for the way you have eaten in the past. If you change the way you eat, you need to change your medications. That means you need to have a very clear line of communication open with your provider. Call them. Let them know what you're doing. Find out how they want you to share your blood sugars with them so they can share guidance on how to bring you off your medications. If you don't do this, you can get very, very sick hospitalized sick, death sick. You can get very ill if you continue medications that you were given to take when you were eating a certain way, but you change that way you're eating. Okay. You need to make sure you let your doctor know and figure out how they want you to communicate with them so that you can start coming off some of those meds in their way, the way they want you to do that. So be careful. Lastly, before we jump into the manual please rate the podcast. If you're finding benefits from this podcast, please rate it in your app, that whatever app you're listening to the podcast on, rate it there. If you're listening on my website, awesome. Share it with people that you think might be helpful. Share it on your social media, share it via text, whatever it is. The more this podcast is shared, the more people get the help that you're getting also, okay? So if you're finding these techniques, these strategies, these thought thought modeling work, if you're finding that helpful, Please share it so that other people can get that same benefit. And writing the podcast in your podcast app is one of the best ways to do that. Lastly, follow me on Instagram and Facebook. Delaine MD is what I, that's my handle on all of them. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook. That's where I talk about Offers that I have coming up, or classes or seminars that I might have coming up. If you weren't here earlier, I think it was a month ago, we did the uh, stress and diabetes. And I had a colleague come on and she talked about meditation and breath work and all these things to actively work on stress. Those kind of things I typically promote on Instagram and Facebook. So follow me there. If you're interested in the free Facebook uh, group, it's Delane MD Reversing Diabetes. A great group of folks, a great community, helpful. Everybody wants to help each other and be there in this journey. I interact on there. I can answer questions. Sometimes I'm slower than I wish I was on it just because I'm busy doing other things, but understand that that's an opportunity for you. Check it out. Delane MD, reversing diabetes on Facebook. All right. So today we're going to talk about the manual. The manual is a process that is taught at least at the school that I went to coaching or for life coaching at. Um, It helps people learn how to be in control of their relationships is really what it comes down to. This concept did not make tons of sense to me for a very, very long time. I don't know if I had a block, but I don't know what it was, but it's just like, uh, I mean, whatever, it's a tool, it's a strategy that helps uncover the things that we thought think about others. And that's important and helpful, but uh, I don't know. I didn't really teach it very frequently or do manual work. And maybe it's also because as my mother says, <laughs> my mother so kindly, I'm going to talk about my mom quite a bit on this podcast. When I was, I don't know, a few years ago, she's like, baby girl, you struggle in life relationships. Like that's where you struggle. You're a great mom, you're a great doctor, you're really smart, but you just struggle in interpersonal relationships. That's what she said. So, um maybe that's where this block was because I didn't really um I hadn't really mastered that. And I don't know that I'll ever master it, but it's some it is a place in my life, a part of my life that I'm really putting a concerted effort into right now. So maybe that's why this came to light for me now. I read a book by a man named Greg Bayer. It's B-A-E-R. And I think he's actually an anesthesiologist by training. So he's a physician. Um, The book is called True Love. And I don't love everything. I don't truly love everything about this book. But there were a lot of things that I thought were really, really, really amazing about this book when it in regards to how we interact with each other and the humans in our life. I think it was, it's actually pretty brilliant as far as that goes. So when I talk about being in control of our relationships, sometimes this sounds a little too good to be true, right? Like this is what it is. Isn't this, we're not supposed to control everything. How do I control the people in my life? Where do I sign up to orchestrate all the humans in my life so that I can feel great all the time? I'd love to do that. Where do I sign up, right? That's not the control I'm talking about. You might have <laughs> You might've had a sneaking suspicion about that. The control I'm talking about is being in control of your part of the relationship. And that's of course, all we ever have control of guys. We don't get to control the other human beings in our life. And that is really what manual work is. We don't get to control. And that's the kick in the teeth about all of it, right? Like that's the hardest part. We don't get to control anybody in our life. Anybody, our children, employees that work for us, people we hire to do things, none of it. So, of course, true to form, guys, the work is always within us. It's always something we need to work on within us. We all want to try to alter the circumstances and recognize when I'm talking about the thought model, you have circumstances, you have thoughts about circumstances, those thoughts lead to feelings, those feelings cause us to have actions, those actions give us our results. We all want to change the circumstance and the humans in our life and the way they behave is a circumstance. If we can change the circumstance, then we can feel better. And never have to work on our thoughts and our feelings and our actions. And this is really the place where we have the most agency. We don't always get to change the circumstances. The circumstance of how other human beings behave in our life, we really don't have control over. We can't change that. Okay. So when we're trying to change others in order to navigate our emotional experience, this is usually stemming from a concept we call emotional childhood so there's emotional childhood and there's emotional there's emotional adulthood okay emotional childhood stems from we call it childhood not because it's childish or childlike i mean it is a little bit childlike but it's not childish as children we are not in control of the circumstances in our life right childhood is made up of us not being in control of the circumstances in our life we have to follow our parents we have to rely on our parents for feeding us, for providing us room and shelter and clothes, right? For even like a lot of our emotion comes from our parents. If mom's in a bad mood, everybody's in a bad mood, right? Like a lot of times as children in childhood, we do rely on others for our emotional experience, as well as all of our other experience, because we don't have the agency, the skill set to go out and earn money, the ability to cook and hunt and gather, right? Even like if you're thinking most primitive living, right? Or pre-modern living, there is still a period of time where children entirely are reliant on parents. Okay. Emotional childhood is when we put our emotions and we make them entirely reliant on anybody other than us, on somebody else. Versus emotional adulthood, like adulthood, it's when we do things. We take take care of business. We're the ones out earning a living. We're the ones out, you know, getting the food to make dinner we're the ones making dinner we're also the ones in charge of how we feel we're in charge of our emotional experience when we live as adults in emotional childhood it looks it's it's a victim mentality it's the belief that the world is happening to us not that we're existing in the world and we exist regardless of what's happening in the world our experience Our emotions exist regardless of what's happening in the world. When we're in emotional childhood, it is the most powerless position we can find ourselves. It is the least powerful, however you want to word it, right? Like it is the most powerless position you'll find yourself in because your emotions, which create your actions and your results, are reliant on somebody else in the world, you have no control over it, you have no power over it. It is the most powerless position you'll find yourself in, and that's why it's important to do this work. That's why it's important to do this manual work, okay? So, again, a manual when we say manual, what is the manual? The manual is kind of like a VCR manual, you know, when you would back in the day, I still have, VCR. I still have a VCR. I have two VCRs for when my one VCR goes bad. That second VCR is still in the box. Laugh if you must. I don't know why I want to buy a bunch of new movies on anything else when I've already purchased them on VHS. So I still have a VCR. So if you remember back in the day, and this is true, I think still for any appliance that you buy, but you will get a manual for how to work that machine. Okay. The manual that we're talking like about is like that manual. We have manuals. We have instruction manuals for how everybody else in our world should act about how our experience in the world should act or should be. Okay. I feel like the more closely, the more intimate we are related to a human, the thicker our manual is. Okay. So my manual for a random person at the grocery store is very thin, like stay out of my personal space. Maybe don't cut in front of me try to use your manners. Very thin. My manual for a significant other, my manual for my children, my manual for my parents, my manual for my brother, my manuals for my best friends. Like you should call me on my birthday. You should acknowledge when I do something amazing. You should just reach out and say, hi, you should come and stay with me once a year. You should call me on Mother's Day for my children, right? Like, I've got all sorts of like you shoulds for my family, right? Like, for the people who are in my life that I live my life with, that I intimately am connected with, I got a pretty thick manual for all of them, and we all do. It's just how it works, okay? So, when we look to change a circumstance, we change the way that somebody behaves, it's similar to trying to change, like, An event in our life, right? Like that's how it works, right? So, say an example would be I want to avoid the break room full of donuts, right? Like there's donuts in the break room. That's a circumstance. Okay. That's a circumstance. Donuts happen, guys. Donuts happen. Donuts sometimes end up in break rooms. And when we decide to change the circumstance, again, if we're trying to change the humans in our life, that's a circumstance, right? When we decide to change the circumstance, Instead of looking at the things we believe about the circumstance, the donuts in the break room in this example, right? Those things that we believe about the donuts in the break room are things like, man, I love donuts or, oh, it's so hard when there are tasty treats and donuts in the break room because then I have to like want them and not have them. The break room is always so hard because people keep bringing food in there, right? Like Those are the things, those are the thoughts that you're having about donuts in the break room. And what you think is it's easier to change the break room than it is to change your thoughts. Or you don't even realize that the thoughts are like a thing that you could change. Is a lot of times it's going on, right? The problem here is not that there's a break room with donuts in it. When we focus on changing the break room, we never get to the root of the cause. The focus on the break room, we want to focus on the break room because we believe if we can change that, then we'd never have to feel the desire for the donuts, But of course, anywhere you bring the thought, oh man, I love donuts or, oh man, it's so hard when there's tasty treats around or, oh man, the break room is always hard because people put food in there. Anywhere we bring those thoughts, we're going to have the same difficulty. We're going to have the same desire. It's going to be hard and we're going to want the food. All right. These thoughts about the food create the desire. The desire is not created by the food. It's about our thoughts with it. Okay. It's the desire that you're finding hard. And if we have the belief, if you have the belief That we can never be around donuts, so it can be easy. And then there would be no desire, there'd be no want. If you believe that you have to remove the donuts, it isn't fixing the issue. If we believe, like, oh, if I didn't have to be around donuts, I'd never eat foods that create insulin resistance and I'd be able to fix my diabetes and life would be amazing. You're talking, you're focusing on something that doesn't exist because the reality of the world is there's always going to be donuts. It's always going to be candy and pizza and bread. Pick your poison. It's always going to be there. If you're believing that what you need to fix is this existence, it's like that victim mentality of the world is happening to me. This food is happening to me. The break room is happening to me. So maybe instead of start changing or working on changing, like instead of like turning and pouring our mental resources and energy into changing the existence of donuts or pizza or whatever it is. Instead of doing that, we start looking at what we believe about the donuts, okay? Then when we look at the belief, like, oh, it's a belief that I have. And I just believe this. Because the fact is donuts are going to be there. So if I'm believing this thing about donuts, I have three options. I have three choices. I can leave, leave it, right? You can avoid the break room, change jobs, move your office, reroute your entire day. You can leave it, avoid it. You can change the circumstance. That is an option. You can learn to live with it and just hate it and be uncomfortable and unhappy and bitchy and moany about the gem donuts all the time. Like that's an option too. Or you can learn to live with it and like it and figure out how to be happy. Okay. This is true for our relationships, guys. Again, the people in our life, they are circumstances. We have thoughts about the circumstances. Okay. Learning to deal with the thoughts versus changing the relationships. Some relationships aren't going to go away. Like, I mean, you can cut everybody out of your life. Sometimes that's hard Um, and it may not be really what you want to do. Okay. So recognizing like we can change the circumstance, the humans in our life, but then we're just going to have these thoughts about other humans in our life. Right. Because remember, the problem is not the circumstance. The problem is not the donuts. The problem is not the break room. The problem is not your husband or your siblings or your parents or your neighbors or your children right? We believe that if these people in our lives would behave differently, then we could be happy, okay? We believe if we didn't have donuts in our life, then we could feel in control, right? That's the thought that we have about this, where the fact of the matter is, is that's not really what's creating our happiness. We believe that if we could change the humans in our life, if they could behave differently, then we could feel loved or we could feel valued or we could feel connected and we'd be happy, So we're going to dive a little bit into these relationships issues, not so much the food issue, okay? Because the fact of the matter is when we can't control how somebody else behaves and they need to behave differently so that I can be happy, then we're unhappy. We're mad, we're hurt, we're sad, okay? And the fact of the matter here with human beings is we cannot change them, They are human beings that live in the world, and we do not have control over them. I had a professor in medical school describe like the the challenge of doing medical research and studies on human beings is we want to believe like they would um do like uh six sigma I think is what the program was and and they would apply six sigma to airplane manufacturing right because if you put a bolt here the bolt stays there right like. Airplane manufacturing was wonderful. They could apply it there because it was working with something that was not animated, that wouldn't get up and do, that had no free will to do something else. Applying those concepts to human beings, this professor described it as trying to play darts on a dartboard with birds, right? If you're in the airplane world, it's like trying to play darts with darts. You just throw them and the darts go. You can like just master your form enough to repeatedly get the dart to go to the place you want it to go. But trying to do it with humans is like trying to play darts with birds. You throw it, they fly off on their own. Where where are they gonna go? I don't know, nobody ever knows, right? Like this is the issue with interacting with humans, having other humans in your world. We can't change them and they have free will and they can do whatever they want. So I always offer that it's in fact rude To expect, like when I think about it, it's rude for me to expect some other human to behave a certain way just so I can feel better. That's how I see it in my brain. It's just rude. Even if another human being is being out of line, it is rude for me to expect them to do something different just so that I can feel better, which is really interesting because frequently, guys, I talk about it's all about me. Why do I choose to unconditionally love somebody? And and there's a lot of people in my life that are difficult to love. And I choose to love them. And I choose to love them because when I choose to love them, I feel good. And it's all about me. I want to feel good. I'm in control of how I feel. And if I want to feel good, feeling love always feels better than feeling disgust or hate or whatever, annoyance. Love always feels better than that. So I choose to love. I make the choice to unconditionally, like you don't need to do anything different and I get to love you because it's all about me. But when we're expecting, like when somebody, when we're thinking about somebody else's behaviors, for me to think that you need to behave differently so that I can feel better, it's selfish. It's like, I don't get to control how you behave. You're a grown ass human being. You can behave however you want to behave. So when we have these expectations that other people have to change so that we can feel better, it's rude. It's not unconditional love. It's not love at all. And when we think about it, like if you're ever unsure, like I know I behave in ways that people don't like, and I don't want to have to change the way I behave. I don't want to have to behave in a certain way just so somebody else can be happy, right? Like this looks like people like, you shouldn't cuss. I had somebody email me not long ago about how much I cuss and like how horrible it is. And I'm like, I didn't even respond. I hope you're still listening. But if you're not, I get it. Because so I'm not going to cuss or not going to stop cussing, right? Like that's an, a reality. I'm just not going to do it. And if it makes you unhappy because I cuss, then that's probably like, okay, you just don't need to listen to me, but I'm not going to change just so you get to be happier, right? People who have judgment about tattoos, like if you don't like tattoos, you should probably not look at me because I have a lot of tattoos and I'm not taking them off or getting them removed because that would be just ridiculously expensive or whatever. I'm not changing who I am just so that you can be happy. And when people expect us to change how we are in order for them to feel a certain way, we feel manipulated. When people have this expectation of us, we feel manipulated, right? When people have a manual for people cussing and having tattoos and they expect me to change so that they can feel better about it, I feel manipulated. I'm not going to, I'm just not going to do that. Like, I'm just not going to do it. It's not even, I feel manipulated. anymore. I'm just like, oh, we probably ought to see it each other. We ought to part ways because that's not going to happen. Right. And again, I'm a grown ass woman. I get to make my decisions. You're a grown ass human. You get to make your decisions. They are grown ass human beings and they get to behave however they want to. And it doesn't have anything to do with how I feel, or at least any feelings that I have are mine, not theirs. Everyone else in my life has the same right to make decisions about how they behave as I do. When I feel hurt by them. It's because I'm not able to control. It's not because I'm not able to be control their behaviors. Even though in my brain I say that, I don't get to say "Don't do X" so that I don't feel hurt. Like that's not fair to them. My hurt is mine. It's not theirs, and it's rude for me to place that expectation on them. That's my thought, at least. I don't know that it's rude for you to place your expectation on them. What I will offer is it's futile. You can expect them to do whatever you want. They don't have to do it. It's playing darts with birds guys. So we have a choice. We have three choices, right? We can leave it. We can live it and hate it, or we can live it in love with it. But I don't get to change anybody in my life. Nobody gets to change me and you don't get to change anybody in your life. And that's the reality of it. So I'm going to give three examples of relationships. Okay. One is being in an abusive relationship, like a physically abusive relationship you have thoughts like oh my god he might lose his marbles and beat me he might kill me she might kill me right you feel danger you feel fear you feel hurt because you thought you love this person you got three choices in your actions you can set boundaries and ultimatums when you hit when you yell i will leave you can get out of the relationship that's an action you can take right like leave it live with it and hate it or live with it and love it right So there are all sorts of actions you can take from that, those three choices, right? Boundaries might be living with it and hating it or living with it and loving it. It might be leaving it. Like that's not a boundary. That's like leaving the relationship. You can do that. I find, I would imagine it would be very hard and I struggle to give you an example of living with it and loving it. Okay. But this is a great example where you want to feel your, your feelings, right? Like you may want to feel danger, hurt, and fear that feels Sincere and authentic, and an alignment with your integrity. This person might kill me. This is probably an appropriate place for fear to be. Okay. You don't want to necessarily feel differently about it. In those situations, you might want to leave that relationship. That's on the choice. That's part of the three choices we have, right? So, another example might be a great example. My mother, um, I don't, I don't know. My mother is a great woman. My mother is a wonderful woman. My mother has given me the most amazing example of how humans can grow and mature and change through a lifetime. My mom and dad, I always say my mom and dad had us when we were very young. She had me and my older brother. By the time she was 21, she had both of us and she meant to, which is insane to me for me in my head. I'm like, I shouldn't have been cutting my own meat at 21 years old. So I certainly had no business having babies at that age, but my mom only ever wanted to be a mother. But what comes when you have babies at 21 is a lack of maturity because you just don't have the years of experience under your belt, right? I have had the amazing gift. My mother has given me the amazing gift of watching her grow into a more robust human being over the years and decades of her life. So this means I've watched my mom grow and become a different woman at 50 and 60 and, and her, like she's getting to her seventies. I think if she hasn't turned seventy, she's going too soon. But I mean, I've been able to watch my mother grow. My mother's an amazing woman, a truly amazing woman. However, having kids when you were young means that you make mistakes. And I can look back on those and see where my mother had these manuals for us. And my brother and I really had to like dig our feet into the ground to not accept that behavior. And then I got to see my mother grow into a a much more amazing human being. Not that she wasn't amazing to start with, but she just grew. I got to see her mature and grow. So my mother, there's a specific example, and I probably don't remember all of the details correctly, but it was a very long time ago, but my brother worked at night shifts. He worked night shifts at a gas station in town, and that meant he slept or should be sleeping during the days. Well, my mother had a painting project, like a house painting project, and she fully expected my brother to come down during the days when he was quote unquote off work to help her paint right? My mom thought he should do this. And my brother put his foot down. He's like, I got to sleep. I'm not doing it. And my mom totally laid the guilt on my brother. He doesn't love me. He doesn't love me enough to help me out after all I've done for him. She had all these thoughts and she expressed them. She felt hurt, or at least I imagine that's what she felt hurt and disappointment. Right. And so my mother would say these things that were kind of unloving to my brother. Like, I can't believe you (laughs) won't. get your sleep tonight and go into work tonight unrested so that you can come help me. Right? So my mother had this thought that she believed that my brother was being unloving. And in turn, because of that thought, and it came from the manual, right? Like my mom had this expectation that my brother should help her when she asked for help. And when he didn't, she felt hurt. And from that hurt, she said these things to my brother. And her result of that was she kind of behaved in this way that wasn't loving. And I think my mother would openly agree with this at this point in her life, right? So recognize we can have asks and requests of other humans. You can have asks and requests of the intimate relationships you have, the significant others, the children, the people that you have in your life, like your family that are intimately involved with you. You can have asks and requests for them, and then you can have asks and requests in like work situations. Like I'm your boss. I'm asking you, requesting that you do this. I've hired you to do a job. I'm asking and requesting you can do this, that you do this. We have certain levels of expectations, right? Like if this is the job that you're hired to do, I can reasonably expect that you're going to do the job. And if not, like I can decide I'm not going to have you do that job anymore, right? You can be hurt or upset about that. But I think the expectation in that situation is a little different, right? But in the end, The human that you hired to do the job still has free will to do whatever they want. Like they can do whatever they want. They cannot do the job. They can run off with your money. We all have stories about this, right? Like plenty of people have stories about this, right? But when my mother or when somebody in your life or when I ask somebody, hey, will you take the trash out for me? That's an ask or request that they get to decide whether they're going to do or not. And especially if we're talking about grown adult humans, they are always at their own will to decide whether they're going to do it or not. An ask or request can be made an expectation that they do it no matter what. That's on us. When I feel crappy because I had an expectation, you took the trash out and you didn't take the trash out. I feel crappy. That's on me. It's not on you. You're a grown ass human. You don't have to do what I ask you to do. Okay. That was where my brother found himself, right? Like he's a grown ass human. He doesn't have to come down and not get sleep during his sleeping hours so that my mom can not feel mad about that. Right. That's how that played out. Okay. We see this coming, like children coming, grown children coming home for the holidays. I have a grown son and he lives away from home. Him and his family live in another state nine hours away. So, we will have, you know, he comes home if he ever comes home for the holidays, which he doesn't come home for the holidays very frequently. I usually go see him, but there was one time where he came over home over the summer and he did not come see me and hold on to your britches here, guys. He called me on his way home to Kansas from Louisiana. He called me and he said, Hey, I'm coming home and I'm not going to see you. (laughs) And I said, excuse me. Of course I was like, Yeah, I mean, like initially, I don't even know that I was that hurt anymore. I totally understand why he does this. So he called me and he said, I'm coming home and I'm not coming to see you. I'm only going to be home for about 12 hours. I need to take care of some stuff with dad's family. And that's what's going to happen. So his dad and I divorced when he was young. Um, His dad and I have never gotten along very well. And There was a lot of really hurt that I dealt with in my life that was mine that I totally tried to put off on him. I tried to totally live this victimized mentality about it. And I tried to make his dad responsible for my emotions there. If he would behave differently regarding my son, then I would be able to feel better. So I've lived there. I've done that. And I realized how futile it was to try to feel better from that place because it was never going to happen. So when my son calls me and he says, hey, I'm coming home for 12 hours and I'm going to go see dad and I'm not coming to see you. I don't feel hurt. I did not feel hurt at all. I don't even think I went through a phase of hurtness, but it would have been easy to go there. And in the past, I definitely would have gone there. I believe that my son didn't come to see me because it makes things sticky at his dad's house. I believe that that just happens. And, and In the past, I would have believed that his dad was trying to drive a wedge between us. And from that space, I would have been hurt. And I probably would have pitched a fit. And I would have probably made my son feel like he was obligated to come see me and what a bunch of crap. I would have been angry. There would have been all sorts of hostility there. That hostility would cause me to behave and say things that did drive a wedge between me and my son. And I've proven that a million times over. I don't need to prove that anymore, right? I know that my son didn't feel like he could come hang out with me because he had things to do with his dad. And that his dad gets angry whenever he does that. And that feeling that that thought that I had, he's not coming to see me because of this relationship he has with his dad. And I have that thought. I feel understanding. I feel compassion for my son because I know he's put in a hard place. My action, the things that I say to my son are like, hey, if you change your mind, come see me. I'll drop everything for you. It's if you need anything, like your car breaks down, baby boy, call me. Mama will help. Right. I'll come see you in a month. Those are the actions that I took. Those are the words that came out of my mouth from that feeling of understanding and camaraderie. Right. The result that I got is there wasn't a wedge driven between me and my son. Okay. So, whenever we have these thoughts about the kids coming to see us, and again, holidays are a big one, they're not coming home for Christmas. I can't believe that he doesn't do that. He doesn't want to be around me. Why doesn't he love me? I've given him all these things. I've done all these things for him. He should do these things. Right. We feel horrible. When we have those thoughts, guys, we feel hurt and we believe they need to do something different. So we don't have to feel hurt. Okay. So we have three choices in these relationships, guys. We can leave it, leave the relationship. You can just never talk to your kids. You can write them off. I'm not going to talk to them. You can change a job. You can change husbands. You can do whatever you want You can leave it. You can live it and hate it, right? Live with it and hate it be unhappy all the time, be hurt all the time. I can't believe he's not going to come home. I'm just, he doesn't love me. I can't believe my husband does this. He just doesn't care about us, whatever it is. You can live with it, hate it and be miserable all the time, or you can live with it and like it and figure out how to be happy instead. That's what I have done with my son, right? My son doesn't come home or he comes home and he doesn't go home to me. He doesn't come see me, right? Like, I, he's never said, Hey mom, dad makes it really hard. So I don't come see you. He's never said that to me. I just choose to believe it. I think it's probably some amount of truth. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I don't know, but I don't feel crappy when I think it. So I'm going to learn to live with it and like it. That's what happened there. That's what that thought allows me to do. Okay. This is like the unconditional love. That's what like doing this manual work will allow you to learn how to love unconditionally. That's what this book by Greg Bayer talks about, right? Unconditional love is the feeling we have when we choose love over all things. We find a way to believe in love over all things. And it does sometimes take work right? This means that we don't have expectations for others. We drop those because those expectations make us feel crappy. Okay. So there's a quote from Hafiz. He's, um oh, he was a poet and I can't remember there's a word for it, but he was a poet. Hafiz, It's H-A-F-I-Z. And I think it explains the power of learning to love in this way. And it, it, learning to love like this, it explains the power in a way that I don't know any other way to do it. Okay. Especially in learning to love those things that are most and those humans that are most important in our life. Okay. The quote is: after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Look at what happens with a love like that. It lights up the whole sky. And it's beautiful because the sun is actually, if you look scientifically, because I'm a nerd like that, right? The sun is actually what made it possible for us to have life on this earth. The distance that the earth is from the sun is what makes life, all the life as we know it possible on this earth. Look at what happens with a love like that. I think it's beautiful. Um, And I know that this isn't necessarily about what to eat and what not to eat or how to exercise and what keeps us you know, sick with type two diabetes as far as what we eat, but do see where sometimes this is what's going on. Aunt Margaret made this fruitcake for me at Christmas that always Drives my blood sugars up, but I feel like I have to eat it. The 4th of July picnic, my girlfriend came over and she brought this great cake. It was so good. And I just didn't feel like I could say no because I had there was an expectation placed on me, right? Or they're coming home to the house. So I have to buy this food for them so that they'll be happy. And then that I can feel like they're, I can feel like I've been a good parent, whatever it is. Underlying most of those decisions truly is this um, manual work. They have to behave this way so I can feel this way, or I have to behave this way so I can think they feel that way. And then I can feel a certain way. This underlies most of those decisions. And again, guys, you don't need me to tell you to stop eating cake. You know that you need to figure out why you're doing it anyway, even though it makes you sick. This is frequently at the heart of that. Okay. So if you have any questions, holler at me. Don't hesitate to reach out to me. Delane at DelaneMD.com. Gosh, I don't think I've said my email address once during this podcast. Delane at DelaneMD.com. Don't hesitate to reach out to me. If you're interested in doing this work, ladies, ladies, you know, there's a song by the Beastie Boys and, and it starts out, hey, ladies. I always want to start out the podcast with that. But then I realize the rest of the song is really naughty and it would embarrass me. So I don't. But hey, ladies, if this is the work that you need to do, if this is where your life is going to be changed, not only in the relationships with the people in your life, so you can be happy and feel love and feel good, but also so that you're not sick and cutting years off your life so that you have the energy and the vitality to do and experience your family in a way that you want to. That is the work that I do in my group. Send me a message, Delane at DelaneMD.com. We will set you up for a consult and get you started doing this work so you can start living that naturally healthy life and tack all those years back onto your life. All right, I'll be back next week. Bye-bye.